0: Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, the classics. We've been offering terrific content for over 20 years. Presented here are some of the very best interviews and fun episodes from the archives. While the content may have originally aired years ago, the information provided is timeless. Please enjoy this episode because coming up, Neil Donald Walsh, author of Conversations with God. This interview happened in 2003, so some of the events may not be active, but please enjoy. It's great information. Good afternoon, Seattle. It is Wednesday, and that always means that Kim Miller is here with me. Yes, I am. And how are you, Kim? I'm doing great today. I, you know, there are often times when I say, you know, I'm so excited. <laughs> I know, you're very excited today. <laughs> but today it's with just cause it because is. the gentleman that we have, he's taken time out of his busy schedule and he's doing something that is just outstanding and unheard of, really, in, in what's happening here in the Northwest scene. But, uh, the, uh, I want to tell the story real briefly because you know me, Kim, and you know... Yeah. The-
1: do I? I? I think I do know yeah. you. Don't I I know you a little bit. Right? You know
0: the genesis of this radio I show. I do. And where it came from and mm-hmm. where it is today. Mm-hmm. And it started out a couple of years ago with somebody who said, you know, there's a book that you might like to pick up. Yeah. And I, I said, really, what book is that? And he said, "What? Well, there's this book called Conversation with God. Mm-hmm. And this guy by the name of Neil Donald Walsh wrote it. And you really should read that because it sounds like you're, On a quest to find out a lot of the stuff that's in that book. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, okay. All right. So I went and I got it and I read it, couldn't put it down. I couldn't put the second one down. I couldn't put the third one down. Thank goodness I didn't discover him until he'd written all three because I would have. (laughs) You'd been
1: calling him saying, are you going to write another one? Are you going to write another one? No, actually, I stood in a bookstore in a uniform and read them that's right yeah that's right so
0: (laughs) when you were a police officer yeah that's right so we are just really fortunate we have neil donald walsh with us for the entire hour and rather than listening to me ramble i think that we should probably go ahead and bring mr walsh on to the show right now neil can you hear me and hold on, and here we are, Neil. Yes, hi. Hi, Neil, how are you? I'm just great, thank you. Good, thank you for coming on the show, and more importantly, thank you for coming to Seattle to do what you're going to do for the next week.
2: Well, it's great to be here. Thank you for saying those nice words about me. It's always wonderful to be back in Seattle, and I'm happy to be here this week.
0: It's, it's really, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing this week.
2: We're doing a small church tour, something that we have not done before uh, in this area of the country. Uh, once a year or so, we pick an area of the country and we do what we call the small church tour, as opposed to the uh, appearances that I generally make at very large churches or very large auditoriums, you know, where we get 1,200 or 1,400 people into the into the room. But every so often, we like to just see if we can't uh, make some contact with people who are attending some of the smaller churches that might seat only 35, 50, or 100, 100 people or so. And so we pick out an area of the country. This this year, we're doing the Northwest. We just finished. Uh, with some churches in Oregon. We're now coming up to Washington today. We'll be appearing here at three or four churches, maybe five, I think, in the greater Seattle area, Seattle-Tacoma area. And then we go back down south, back into uh, Oregon again to pick up a couple more small church appearances there before going home, uh, where I live in Ashland, Oregon, actually. i not too far from here.
0: You know, and no. when I first discovered conversations with God. I was really excited about the fact that you're, you're on the West Coast and that, that you live right around here.
2: Well, you know, this is a great part of the country. I moved to the West Coast uh, many, many years ago. Uh, and uh, once I got here to the, to the West Coast of the United States, I realized that this was paradise and I would never, ever, ever go east again except to visit occasionally. And that's what I've really done. I've made the West Coast my home, mostly in Oregon and in the state of Washington, which are two of the just the prettiest places on Earth.
1: Well, and Ashland's a great place anyway, and has the Shakespeare Festival, so there it's couldn't a be wonderful. a better place than that.
2: Yeah, it's a wonderful little community, and it's within shooting distance of Seattle. I can get up here whenever I want, and I come here frequently. I can go to Portland, of course, or San Francisco to the south. So it's a really great place to be, and you're within driving distance of a lot of nicer places as well if you want to go out to a big city.
0: Neil, in my world, I can't believe that anybody doesn't know your story and the conversation with God books and how they came to be. but in our listener audience, which is growing greatly and with a lot of different folks, a lot of them don't know exactly where those books originated from. Could you share that story with us, please?
2: Sure, sure I can. Many years ago now, uh, I had uh, just a a terrible experience in my life where everything was going wrong. It wasn't just one big disaster, but really, uh, Kevin, everything that could go wrong was going wrong. I had lost my Job, Uh, my health was going downhill rapidly. My relationship with my significant other was falling apart. It was all happening in the same week. No, no. And uh, it was one of those times when you just realize, in the middle of the night, I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to be here anymore. What is this all about? Somebody give me, give me some reason to go on because I just don't understand this. And I, I had one of those moments. uh, I guess we would call it the dark night of the soul. I woke up in the middle of the night, four o'clock in the morning. I, I, I was just prowling the house at 4 a.m., just walking, pacing the floor in the dark, trying to figure things out, trying to understand uh, what was happening and why it was happening, what I had done wrong, where I had gone off the path, and more importantly, what I needed to do uh, to make life work. And so I sat down on the couch finally at uh, 4.15 in the morning. I found a yellow legal pad it happened to be on the coffee table in front of me. don't know what it was doing there. I found a pencil and, uh, and uh, turned on a light, and uh, I began to write a very angry letter Uh, To God, what does it take to make life work? What have I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? And somebody, tell me the rules. I'll be glad to play. Just tell me the (laughs) rules here. And uh, once you tell me the rules, don't change them. And you know, Kevin uh, and Kim, something really exciting happened to me then. I I, I heard a voice, uh, and I'll I'll swear uh, until the day I die that that voice was right there in the room with me. I mean, I, I heard that voice as clearly as I've been hearing your own for the past few moments. It was right there next to me. And the voice simply said, do you really want answers to all of these questions, or are you just venting? Uh,
1: Did you want to say, no, never mind, I'm going to go back to bed?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I was so startled about it. I Uh, bet. Yeah, (laughs) but I I turned around and there was no one there, and I just thought, wow, my imagination. It was amazing, (laughs) because I would have given everything that I own. I mean, I would have sworn that there was somebody here in the room with me, but there wasn't. But then I thought of what was asked of me in that in that imagining or whatever happened there. Do you really want answers to all of these questions, or are you just venting? So I wrote down uh, on this piece of paper where I had been writing the questions. Yeah, you know, I'd like to, I am venting, but if you have answers, I'd sure as heck like to know what they are. And with that, I came the answers to all the questions I had asked, and to questions I never even dreamed existed. And those answers came in the form of uh, again words or paragraphs that were being spoken to me, as if someone were standing just over my right shoulder, just behind my right shoulder, and whispering in my ear, or talking very quietly in my ear. Again, I turned around, there was no one there, but the voice was unmistakable, and the voice was saying such extraordinary things that I thought, you know what, if I'm hallucinating, whatever, I'm going to write this stuff down. (laughs) So I began writing down what I was, I want to say, hearing, uh, and Uh, As I began to write, I was hearing uh, answers to questions that not only intrigued me, but that stimulated other questions. I mean, I would hear stuff and say, wait a minute, what about this or what about that? So I wrote those questions down. Uh, Immediately, as soon as I wrote a question down, I got the answer to that question. The answer came almost before I finished writing the question. And I wrote the answer as fast as I could. And and, uh, within a very short period of time, I found myself involved in an on-paper dialogue uh, i wasn't questioning what was happening, I just because it was very, very healing for me. I realized that within moments my anger, my frustration, at what was going on in my life had disappeared, and my experience had turned into one of almost joyful tears. I was doing everything but crying there, sitting there, writing these extraordinary answers that I was receiving and I really did think, you know boy you're really going off the edge here you're totally <laughs> hallucinating in the middle of the night, except that the information I was getting made so much sense, it was so clear it made such extraordinary impact on me that I just kept on writing and I didn't bother questioning the process. I just let let the process happen. You know, it felt, Kevin, like I was taking dictation. I would literally ask a question and it was very much as if someone was just speaking dictation to me and I was writing down what I was hearing. Mm-hmm. And uh, that process went on for about three and a half hours that night. And after that time, I must have had, gosh, I don't know, 50, 60 pages of handwritten notes of questions and answers and questions and answers. And I didn't think too much of it. I was feeling great. I felt terrific. It was eight o'clock in the morning, and I felt wonderful. But I didn't think too much more of it. I just thought, "Gosh, what an interesting experience! What an interesting process! I've got to share this with friends. This is this beach therapy, <laughs> and it's free, you know." And again, you know, yeah. but, I, but the truth was, I didn't dare tell anyone because I thought that they would say, "You know, you really have flipped out, baby. You need to go see somebody because this is a, you know very weird thing to happen." And I hope you don't tell too many people about it. So. I didn't, I didn't, in fact, tell anyone about it, I just, and I didn't, didn't think too much more about it, but the next night, around 4.15 in the morning, I was awakened, just out of a dead sleep, just awakened uh, by, I don't know what, some impulse to get up, and I went back into the living room, I found the legal pad, picked up the pencil, and I began, turned on the light and began writing just where I had left off, it was the, the, uh, the matchup was seamless you would hardly know that i had stopped writing and i kept on going with more questions and more answers and that went on every night for about 3 weeks i was awakened at, they uh, they
1: really like that hour don't they
2: between 4 and 4:30 in the morning yeah. <laughs> yeah and 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 there i was and then uh, and, I, and by this time now i had like several hundred pages of handwritten notes and hand, handwritten dialogue i would say not notes but an actual back and forth dialogue and then the um the awakenings what i want to call the awakenings happened less frequently. They they weren't happening every night anymore. I noticed that a day would go all between or two days between. And, I would, and these these experiences would come to me maybe two or three times a week. But inevitably, between 4.15 or so and 4.30 in the morning, I would just start be, you know, be startled awake by nothing at all. But then I would realize, okay, time to get back to the dialogue. By this time, I had moved the, the legal pad into my den, into the, the little office I had in my house in a spare bedroom. And I went in there and I continued this thing, turned on the lamp and continued doing this, pro- this process uh, and it went on for the better part of a year. And what I noticed during that time was that, again, I didn't share this with anyone, I just didn't tell anyone what was going on, but uh, I was being healed. All of my anxiety, all of my frustration, all of my anger, uh, all of my uh, negativity was slowly uh, seeping away, disappearing and i found myself having a far more positive attitude feeling very good about life even though life wasn't going that well feeling very good about my what i want to say my chances for turning things around and by gosh if it didn't happen that way because before the year was out i was uh, uh, reemployed i was uh, uh, i had found another relationship that was a budding new new friendship that was turning into something very important in my life uh, and uh, my income situation and even my health of course because when your well-being when you're doing that well your well-being is affected and so, within less than a year, I just saw my whole life begin to turn around, and I thought, golly, this is spectacular. I'm going to continue this process. But somewhere, now here's where it gets really interesting, somewhere in that process, I recall taking a note where my what I call my voiceless voice said to me, this will one day become a book. And I recall in the dialogue, my thinking, yes, of course, you, yes. you and a hundred other people are going to send your middle-of-the-night mental meanderings to a publisher you know, who's, who's going to say, oh, we'll, well, we'll get this out at once. Here's a guy, here's a guy who says, he's talked to God. Why no not publish it? You know, But in fact, in fact, I, 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 on a lark, I did send it to a publisher, not, not so much to get it published, but to see if it would be, because I wanted to test out what I was hearing in this so-called dialogue. I, I wanted to, this was one of the few things I could measure uh, most of the information I was receiving in this dialogue was conceptual in nature, but this was a measurable outcome. I mean, the voice said, the, this will become a book. So either it would or it wouldn't. And I thought, well, this is a good way to, to figure out whether or not this, any of this is real. Well, by golly, if a publisher didn't call me within two weeks, I mean, I sent I sent my, my handwritten notes to a stenographer that I knew, and she typed it all up for me for a couple hundred bucks. And I, I, and I had a typewritten manuscript. On a, I also had a disk, a data disk. And I sent the manuscript off to a, a small publisher on the East Coast. And by golly, this guy calls me back six days later. And he says, you know what? This is fascinating. This is, an, this is incredible stuff you've sent me. What is your name? What do you do for a living? Tell me all about you. And we're thinking of publishing this as a book. And I couldn't believe my ears. I said, you're, you're kidding me. I, mean, I sent it to you on a lark. He said, well, lark or not. I think people need to read this. Everybody here in the office, we, we've made copies of it and sent it around the whole office, and everyone is flipping out over this material. So I said, "Well, you know, whatever, you you know, go ahead and publish it, you know." And we signed a contract. Pretty soon, I was a published author, and within nine weeks after the book was published, it became a bestseller. It, it remained on the New York Times bestseller list for two and a half years. Wow. It was translated into thirty-seven languages. And it has sold millions, multi millions of copies around the world. Now, who could you know? That's you can't even predict such an outcome. It's just, it's almost absurd. It's so, it's, it's surreal, is what it is. And yet, what I realized is that this book was never intended for me. These messages that I was receiving were never intended for me alone. But in fact, uh, they were intended for the whole world. I don't want to sound grandiose and inappropriately grandiose, but I do believe that the messages were intended for everyone who comes to them. To bring them a new and special understanding about God and about the world in which we live and about life, uh, this extraordinary experience that we are all having. And I've been I've heard now hundreds of stories. We we've received over twenty five thousand letters uh, since the book was published, the first book, and people have said to me, you know, I I came by this material in the most extraordinary way. I heard about it, you know, in a chance interview on the radio, like some people may be doing right now or a friend mentioned it to me, or I was in the bookstore and it literally fell off the shelf in my hands practically, uh, or, or some such thing that, that uh, people have told us over and over again. This book came to my attention in the most unusual uh, and the most off-handed way, uh, but when I picked it up and read it, I realized that I was I, you know, intended to read it. I was meant to read it all of my life. And now, of course, we've had, as I mentioned before, many multi-millions of readers, uh, and uh, so many of them have contacted us to tell us that this book has totally changed their lives.
0: Neil, I want to, I want to
2: touch the on. the background of it anyway.
0: Absolutely. And, and I want to touch on a piece of that, which is in conversation with God, which is the Ten Commitments versus the Ten Commandments, because I think that's an extraordinary writing. And we, and we, need to take a break, but I would like to do that. And then we're going to fast forward a, t- a dozen years to today. And, uh, what's, what's happening with you now and with the New Revelations and Humanities team and the reason that you're here. All right. We'll be right back. All right, welcome to the Kevin McDonald Show. Positive talk in the afternoon. You're listening to KKNW 11:50 a.m. and we have Neil Donald Walsh with us for the entire hour. And as a matter of fact, I've taken the unprecedented steps. We're going to go ahead and run commercial-free for the rest of the time till one o'clock, so that we can touch with Neil the most. But Kim, during the break, as always on our show, the most interesting interesting things happen during the break. Kim and Neil were having a discussion. Kim. Go ahead.
1: Well, actually, what I was I was just saying to Neil is that in I'm a I'm a medium, and and the way that this kind of started for me is that I picked up a pencil and uh, an angel kind of came through, and I and I had no uh, for probably four hours. I got God loves you, and this angel loves me. So I I kind of understand the process that he went through, but in in the times that I've talked to people and I've talked to their their people who passed away, I've gotten a lot of men. And I never knew what book to refer for men because there's a zillion books that are written for women, specifically for women. And by women. And by women, exactly. Mary, Marianne
2: Williamson. And oh, yes. All, all the rest, yeah. And and so this Deborah, was a... Dory Virtue and all, all of those, yeah.
1: Oh, absolutely. And this was a book that I could say, you know, I think that this would be a great book for you to read because it, it it's something that speaks to, to your heart and you can understand it and read it, and it's written by a man in a, with a man who was going through a, a certain set of difficulties, and there's great answers, and, and it's a wonderful book that speaks to men also.
2: Yes, and, and our mail, I was saying earlier, our mail uh, has uh, demonstrated that. We've, we've, get, we've gotten almost 50%, about 46% of our letters uh, and emails come from men, which is an astonishingly high number uh, for people who are in the so-called personal growth or spiritual development uh, area, and our, our the retreats and workshops which have been developed and which have grown out of these books, also and the lectures that we give around the country, uh, we we see that again just last night, for instance, in Oregon, we were in Gresham, Oregon, and and uh, easily 50 percent of the people uh, in the room were men, and that has that's rarely true when you go to personal growth retreats or spiritual. Events like that, it's almost always sixty or seventy, or sometimes even eighty percent women. Oh, absolutely! And they drive their husbands along if they mm-hmm. can manage to get them to go. But in this case, we are seeing that uh, easily half of the room uh, is male, and uh, and so the material does appeal to the logical as well as the spiritual mind. Uh, and women have sent us many letters. One woman wrote us a, a memorable letter in which she said, "Thank you for returning my husband to a belief in a God that he can agree with."
0: Exactly. Neil, in conversations with God, you asked God a question,
2: and it and
0: he gave you the answer that there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments.
2: Yes, well, that's when I knew that the information was coming from somewhere other than uh, inside my head. <laughs> I mean, people have written me letters saying, well, how do you know that this is God talking, or how do you know it's just not your own imagination, your own, your own mind making this stuff up? You just do. And uh, my answer has been, well, you know... <laughs> Because information is coming coming to me. I mean, I'm coming up with stuff that I would never come up with if I were using my own memory or my own uh, experience as a resource. For instance, no one has ever said to me, nor have I ever had a thought like the one you just expressed, there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments. I forgot how he got into that in the in the conversation, but somehow or another, I, I brought it up, and, and the answer I got was uh, from God was, there is no such thing as the Ten Commandments, and I was blown away by that. I mean, I just said, wait a whoa, 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 wait a minute, what do you mean there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments? God said, I would never command anyone. Who would I command? We're all one. I'm trying to tell you that I am the same as you. You are the same as me. You are parts of me. It would be like your right hand telling your left hand what to do. And then if your left hand didn't do it, your right hand would punish it severely, maybe even cut it off.
1: We do that every day, don't we?
2: Of course we do. <laughs> of course we do, because we don't know who we really are. Exactly. But God was saying to me in this dialogue, you know, uh, uh, I hate to tell you this, but this is a new theological thought. Try this theological thought on for size. We are all one. Four words, really, that changed my life. And I said, wait, 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 here we go again. What do you mean, we are all one? Uh, you, mean, you mean that we're one with each other, like be your brother's keeper and all that? I can go there. He said, no, no, that's part of it, but I'm, it's much larger than that. I mean, we are all one. That is, you and I, God and all human beings and everything that lives in life is all one thing expressing itself in, in, in many different ways through the energy of the essence that you call life itself. And with that thought, my whole perception of who I am vis-a-vis everything else, including God, uh, changed forever. And so God said to me, there's no such thing as the Ten Commandments. I said, well, well what happened? Are you telling me that the Moses trip was just made up? By <laughs> he said, no, no, not really. He said, that, that, that experience occurred, but it was not, has not been reported exactly accurately. What happened was, I did not give humanity Ten Commandments. I made, in that moment, Ten Commitments to humanity. Moses came to the mountaintop, indeed. And he called out to the God of his understanding, just as it was written. God, my people are asking me about this experience I've been telling them about, about a divine being that guides people's lives. Please, give me a sign. Show show me a sign. What can I tell them? Give me a sign that can let me, let them know how to get back to God. How How will they know when they're traveling on the righteous path, on the appropriate path back to God? And God said, you will know when you are on the path to God, because there will be things that when you're on the path to God that you will do automatically, and things that you will not do, and your behavior will be almost automatic when you're back on the path to God. For instance, God said, when you're on the path to God, you shall honor your father and your mother, and and, and thou shalt not steal. I mean, you just won't steal, because you shall not do that. It's just not something that you will do. Because when you're on the path to God, the very nature of your being would preclude the possibility of your taking something that didn't belong to you. It just won't happen. And when you begin to see these behaviors emerge through you, you will know that you are on the path to God. And these are my commitments to you. Look for these signs. And those Ten Commandments were ten commitments from God, signposts, that when we saw our behavior changing in those ways... Which, which, which changes come to us automatically as we sincerely seek the divine? We will know that we are on the path back home.
0: That's a, that's a marvelous, and I just when I read that, that was just really, really an extraordinary writing. And I believe that you said in an interview that that some theologians that looked at that said that that was the most uh, unique. Writing about well, the Ten wait, Commandments. Yes, a long time? I, I
2: had a, I had a theology professor at one of the universities back. east, I think it was Princeton Theological Seminary. If my memory serves me correctly, it was one of the one of the theological seminary he called me, and and uh, and he said, you know, Mr. Walsh, he said, I, I want to tell you that I don't agree with I don't agree with your theology. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a minister, an ordained minister. I think he was a Methodist minister. He said, and I don't agree with your theology, but I must tell you. Uh, that you have created, I'm thunderstruck by the originality of this thesis, because there has not been such a new take, such a new angle, uh, a a new uh, interpretation of the Ten Commandments, probably in 500 years. And he said, you've given me four semesters worth of discussion (laughs) (laughs) In, in my theology class. He said, and for that alone, I thank you. He said, because it's not necessary for us to agree with each other for what you have put into the world to be of value, if only that it promotes a re-examination, a re-exploration, and a new discussion of an old topic, namely religion. Mm -hmm. And he said, you've done that for, he said, your conversations with God, whatever they may have been, have promoted conversations about God that we would never have had without these books. And it was an extraordinary thing for him to say, and of course I've never forgotten it.
0: Okay, let's fast forward a dozen years or so. And to today. And you have a new book out that has been out for about six months, which is called The New Revelations. And we talk about the five steps to peace, and we talk about the fallacies. Let's, let's go to that book a little bit and talk about
2: it. Well, you know, uh, Kim and Kevin, that, that book came to me and through me uh, following the September 11th uh, uh, events, the tragedy of that day. Uh, it was the day after my birthday, my birthday is September 10th. We were all in a, still, still in the afterglow of a wonderful party that we had had at, at uh, my house, Nancy and I, and there must have been 100 people there, some friends and relatives and my family and my family's friends and my kids, and I've got teenagers, and they brought all their friends over to swim in the pool. We just had a wonderful time, and we, were, we had gotten up the next morning. It was just a, still in the afterglow of that wonderful day. There was a day-long party that went on from 1 o'clock until 10 o'clock at night, and, and the next morning we were just, just arousing ourselves for the day. Day and a friend, a friend called, actually a member of my staff, who, who is a friend, and she said, "Turn on your television. You're not going to believe what's happening." And, it, it, and I said, "What?" She said, "Just turn on the TV. I can't even I can't even describe it." I said, "Whatever," and I went over and turned on the, on the TV right there in the bedroom. We had a TV across the room, and and of course we sat there thunderstruck as as all of the cool. world did yeah. as we watched these events unfold. And the events had not even all unfolded yet. The plane had not even crashed into the into the into the Pennsylvania. Uh, farmland. And so we were watching this all happen. And, and in the days following that, I thought, you know, I don't understand. I mean, I, I've written now five books. Uh, and, uh, it, it talks in terms that, that make what's happening today seem almost impossible. I, mean, I don't, just, just don't understand. And I, and I, like a lot of people, I guess, I wept. I cried. I mean, I'm a grown man, but I sat there and I cried real tears. And I said, what, what is it? I'm ca- I called out to the God of my understanding. What is it that we don't understand yet? I mean, humanity does not get the, the understanding of which could change all of this and stop this incredibly dysfunctional, self-destructive behavior What, what, what? after all the thousands and thousands of years of of life that we've lived on this planet, after all of the the hundreds of years of theological and philosophical teaching, after all we think we've learned, and as far as we imagine ourselves to have evolved as a species, to come to this, where we fly airplanes into buildings shouting, Allah is great, and kill 3,000 people, you know, in, in, in five minutes, in a heinous act that the human mind cannot even comprehend. Flying an airplane into the side of a building, help me out and And what caused such extraordinary behavior to begin with? And so I, I asked God, you know, you know, all this talk, all of this conversation means nothing if we're still behaving like this. It, it's, it, it, what is it that we need to know? And God said, "All right, get out your pencil. Here we go. <laughs> and And uh, uh, he, he said essentially. The problem with with humanity is, and, and, and then he told me what was up, what was going on, why we're behaving like this, and that book came through me so fast. I said, what shall I call this? He said, you know, you will call the book The New Revelations, and it will be a daring title. But these new revelations will reveal to humanity not only the cause of the difficulties we're having, but the way out, the path to peace. And then I will give you nine new revelations about life that will change your experience and your expression of life forever and preclude forever, preclude forever the possibility of something like this happening again, if humanity embraces these new revelations. Well, you know, the first ten chapters of that book were written in six days. I mentioned that last night at one of the churches. I never even thought of this before. I said that somebody from the audience said, and on the seventh day he (laughs) (laughs) rests. But but in fact, I wrote ten chapters of that book in six days flat. And the entire book was written in a very short period of time. It literally flew through me. Uh, And uh, in that book, God said, here's the problem. The problem is not the behaviors of human beings, but the beliefs that create those behaviors. And the difficulty in the world is that you are trying to solve the world's challenges at the level of behavior. That is... You imagine it to be a political or an economic or even a military problem. So you're trying to solve humanity's problem using political, economic sanctions and so forth, or political means. But you can't solve it at the political, economic, or military level because it's not a problem at that level. It's a spiritual problem. Humanity is facing a spiritual crisis. That is, it does not understand itself. It does not understand its relationship with each other. Human beings do not not understand their relationship with life or with what you call God either. You understand so little of it that you are, frankly, a rather primitive species. And yet, if you don't advance in your understanding of spiritual things as rapidly as you have advanced in your understanding of technological things, I mean, you can make smart bombs that can fly 200 miles and go through a window on a certain floor of a certain building and, and hit a certain spot in that house or in that building. That's a smart bomb. You've got the technology and the brains to do that. You've advanced technologically. You've advanced scientifically. You've advanced medically. You've made advances in every area of human interaction, human experience, and human endeavor except in the area of theology, in the area of spirituality. You are still back two, three, four thousand years to the words of the Christ, the words of the Buddha, the words of whoever you thought was the, was the person bringing through the truth. And you're trying to apply two and three and four thousand year old philosophies and theologies to 21st century conflicts and problems, and you cannot do it. If you do not allow your theology to expand and to evolve and to grow, as you have expanded and evolved and grown in every other area of your life, you are literally going to be self-destructive because you are, as children, playing with matches. And so, God said, the problem is your belief system. The things you believe about life and about God are killing you. If you can believe in a God, who would condone your flying airplanes into buildings saying Allah is great, if you can believe in a God who would promise you that you'll go straight to heaven and have 21 virgins that will serve you for the rest of your life in in the hereafter, if you just kill other people on God's behalf, then you have misunderstood me completely. And by the way, it isn't just Muslims but Christians, too, who fought for 200 years in the Christian Crusades and the Palestinians and the Jews fighting now in the, in, 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 and the Catholics in, in, in Ireland and the Catholics and the Protestants who shoot each other and kill each other on the street and have been doing that for the past 50 years. It's everywhere you look. There are conflicts on the planet, and these conflicts are created by the misunderstandings that, that exist between peoples of different religions and cultures that are spiritually based. You must, must, must rearrange your thinking about God and what God wants from you, and stop imagining a God who is punitive, violent, and who uses conflict and killing as a means of resolving problems. And then God was very specific about what all that is, and the New Revelations contains the specific messages from God, including five steps to peace that could change the world overnight. And they are? Well, the first step, they're very difficult to take, but they're very easy to speak. I I don't think I'm going to go through the whole list of five, but the first first step to peace is simply this. He said, you know, if people of every religion, of every faith, of every uh, wisdom tradition, of every philosophical persuasion could simply utter these words, I acknowledge, this is the first step to peace, I acknowledge that there is something that I believe, that we all believe about God and about life, that is no longer working. I simply am willing to acknowledge that there is something something we believe, that some of the things we believe about God and about life are no longer working. Now you might think, what an innocuous statement, what a simplistic, that's the big step to peace, except except that multi-millions of the world's people cannot even take that first step. You talk to the pastors of some churches, to the ulama of some madrasas in the Middle East, you talk to some religious people and their followers, and they will find it impossible to acknowledge that some of their beliefs are not functional. They would look at you and say, no, 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 you don't understand. The problem is not that our beliefs are dysfunctional. The problem is that you don't believe them.
1: (laughs) That's right. (laughs) They can't embrace and love one another. So that
0: (laughs) (laughs) They need to believe. If everybody believed what I believe, the world would be a lot better off, don't you think?
2: Of course. So here we are shooting at each other to try to make that point. And, of course, we don't see the contradiction. It's a contradiction in terms. We don't see it. We think that we are right, we're holding up the right book, but yet we hold up a book that speaks of a God who uses killing as a means of conflict resolution in the Bible. And you can get out your calculator and do this tonight around the kitchen table, just get the Bible out, have a cup of coffee because you'll be there for a while. (laughs) and Count the number of people who have been killed at the hand or at the command of God. And by actual count, this has been done, this has already been done by Bible researchers, over a million people by actual count in the Bible have been killed at the hand or at the command of God. And that's only the beginning. Then you pick up the Torah.
1: And that, yeah, I was going to say, that's only the Bible.
2: Well, the Torah, <laughs> but, of course, is part of the Bible. Right. But then, then you pick up the Koran, you pick up the Bhagavad Gita, and you pick up the Book of Mormon. And you pick up the the Upanishads or any of the sacred texts of the major world's religious uh, understandings and, and the world's exclusivist organized religions, and you find similar passages and statements where God is quoted as commanding people to go out and kill each other in my name if they don't believe in me in the proper and the right way, or if they are behaving in ways that are displeasing to God. And so we use these scriptures, most of the world's organized religions at one time or another have done so, use these scriptures, these so-called holy scriptures that tell us of a God of horror and a God of terror and a God of fear and a God of retribution. We hear about the wrath of God and we use these scriptures as moral authority to act with each other in ways that would shock the conscience of anyone who truly believes in a loving, caring God. But, of course, we imagine that God has anger, and if we don't behave in certain ways, then God has the right to punish us and gives us the right to punish each other as well with impunity. This is an insane belief in an insane God. And in the latest book, The New Revelations, we speak about that and talk about how to get out of that horrible box canyon that we've cornered ourselves in. Because now, of course, to even speak like I'm speaking, even though most people hearing this word right now in your radio audience are probably at some level going silently agreeing, well, you know, this guy guy makes a point. He's right. We are acting insanely under the moral authority uh, of a belief in a God who is crazy if if this is the way God is acting. And yet, while people will silently agree with me, they don't dare. We have a society in which you don't dare speak up about this unless you want to be ostracized and removed from any position of influence, power or success in your life. So people keep quiet about it. We're all keeping what I call the silent agreement. But the problem Kevin and Kim in the world today is simply this. The civil are not organized and the organized are not civil. Wow.
0: <laughs> well, because everyone has an agenda. And and there's a lot of power that comes into play with it.
2: And the agenda is causing humanity to destroy itself, little by little. If we don't destroy the earth completely, at the very least, we will destroy life as we know it. We've already done that, a good deal of that already. Life is not now the way it was before September 11th. Who would have imagined red alerts and yellow alerts and running around and and the kinds of things that the government is now allowing itself to do that can go into your video store or go to your library? And capture the information on every library book you've, you've rented, every every you've taken out, every video you've rented in the past year, all under the guise of national security. And it's only the beginning. Big Brother is watching you. And boy, Orwell had it right. He was just a few years off as his, as to his timing. He wrote a book called 1984, and it was about 20 years too soon. But here we are, coming up on 2004, and virtually everyone of George Orwell's predictions in the book 1984 about a futuristic society in which the state controlled every aspect of your life and you no longer had any personal privacy, those predictions are chillingly coming true.
0: It's a frightening, con- It's it, it really is frightening when you look at everything that is happening um, in, around the world in this, in this country, Kim.
1: No, I I think I I absolutely agree with him. I mean, just just with everything that's just gone on recently, there's just been an air of, of McCarthyism that has sort of happened again. Also,
2: you can't even announce that you're that you're against the war in Iraq. I mean, you're unpatriotic. You, you, you are blackballed. You, you're taken off of television commercials. You can't be a spokesman for this, and, and you can't do that. And you know, it's just a, it's, it's an amazing thing that's happening in this country. And, and the power that we are giving away to, to our government under Donald Rumsfeld and under uh, Mr. Ashcroft and the, and the Bush administration. Uh, and I, I'm not, I don't want to get into politics here because I'm not, that's not the point of this conversation. But we have better look at the, at the rights, the ordinary rights that we are giving up in order to uh, maintain some sort of security, and in the face of a very real terrorist threat, which has been created by our misunderstandings about who we are in relationship to each other and in relationship to God, and our deep misunderstandings about who and what God is and what God wants and commands from us. Those misunderstandings are causing the world to go on a fast track to a living hell, forget about hell and the hereafter
0: and you've been listening to and you are listening to neil donald walsh neil donald walsh will be here all week long he is going to be at i believe the count is six churches in and around the greater seattle area starting with kent unity church tomorrow evening and i'll be giving you particulars on that tomorrow as well and you can also go to my website which is www.positive-talkradio.com and you can um download the complete schedule of what neil donald walsh is doing you know and just to follow up about the uh the the uh, hysteria that's going on about iraq and those sorts of things there's another talk radio station that is far 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 to the right and they have a poster that says who support our troops now i don't know anybody whether you believe in the war or not or whether we should have gone or not who doesn't support our troops
2: of course not and uh, but, but, and that's the insidious way that the far right uh, captures the hearts and minds of Americans because you're right we're going to support our troops no matter what and we ought to but they translate that into supporting every every single decision that the Bush administration has made around this uh, war effort in Iraq and for that matter around its entire foreign policy in the world at large and those two should not equate to one another but you can, it's nearly impossible these days to speak out against or to even raise a cautionary tone, to even say, "Look, I'm not even sure I'm against the Bush administration's uh, actions, but can we at least look at it? Can we talk about it? Can we? Is it open to debate, or are we just have to just yes, sir, snap a salute off to whatever George Bush says?" That's what's scary. That's what's crazy. That's what we can't do. Uh, that that's what we can't go there, and we are going there, and and uh, so. And, right.
1: and politics isn't even really the root of it. The root of it is ba- our basic beliefs and, w- and what we, you know, what we, our, spir- our spiritual beliefs. It, That's right. Exactly.
0: Absolutely. Neil, now, in the, in the events that you're going to be doing this week, I, I love the format that you are going to do. Talk about that a little bit, would you please?
2: Well, we're not going to do We're not going to do it. One, one thing we're not going to do is uh, a lecture. Uh, the last thing that, that the world needs is to hear you know, another two-and-a-half or uh, a 90-minute you know, lecture from another author. Uh, we're simply going around to small churches, sitting in small groups of 35, 40, 50, 60 people, uh, and really dialoguing. I do have some opening remarks that might take 15 or 20 minutes out of the two-hour evening. And then for the rest of the night, just to kind of set the stage and create it, create the space for the conversation to flow. And then we have really a conversation, and the conversation is around the topic, how to enhance your relationship with God, how to get closer to God, how to really understand this force, this energy in the universe, this experience that so many people have that we call God, how to make it useful and utilitarian and very real in your moment-to-moment life. And that's done through a a back-and-forth dialogue, questions and answers that that we share with each other and sharing, mutual sharing, uh, in a small group context. So it's much, much different than you might experience at a large lecture hall where you go with three or four or six or 800 people the guy stands in front of the room and talks for an hour and a half and might take a question or two if they have the facility to do that, this is a much different kind of experience, and uh, it's a very intimate evening uh, that we have a chance to share with people. And, you know, I am very excited to do this program, because I, I can recall years ago when I was reading the books of Deepak Chopra and Marianne Williamson and others, and I would have dreamt, you know, oh, wouldn't it be great to have an evening with that person whose book changed my life, and just talk with them in a small cluster of people, 35, 40 people, we 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 can each get a few questions in, and hear some very uh, some very intimate uh, discussion about these uh, these topics. And so that's what we that's what we we've, we've created here in Seattle, and I'm very excited about it.
0: It's going to be a, a wonderful time.
1: No, actually, I'm I'm just listening to you. Oh, okay.
0: I thought, I thought you were emotioning to me. Okay. Um, because tomorrow night again is Kent Unity and, uh, the number for you to call ahead to get a reservation is 253-854-9747. And again, it will be on, uh, my website, which is www.positive-talkradio.com, and uh, you can go there and get all the information on all the venues. We will be publicizing them each day as they happen. As a matter of fact, I'm anticipating being at the Kent Unity Church, and I'm looking forward to meeting you, Neil.
2: Well, that'd be wonderful. I would enjoy that as well.
0: It's uh, always a marvelous opportunity to meet somebody who, just listening to you talk, you have just such a way about the things that you bring to the table.
2: Thank you for saying that, Kevin. That's a lovely thing to hear. I I, uh, I like to think that, that when I speak on these topics, at least, that uh, there's a part of me that's still connected in some way to that energy that flows through all of us. That's a point I want to make before I say goodbye, by the way. It's very important for me to be real clear to, with people. I do not think that I'm in any way special or unusual. I do not think that God you know, picked me or somehow appointed me as his spokesman. That would make me a really weird and strange person, maybe even a dangerous person. I have no intention of becoming dangerous. The very first message I received in the conversation with God material years ago was, everyone, all of us, everyone is receiving uh, conversa- conversations with God, wisdom from the universe, wisdom from the divine. We are all having conversations with God all the time. And these conversations, God is communicating with all of us in every single moment of our lives. And these communications from the divine come to us in uh, by all manner of means. We, we the, the lyrics of the next song you hear on the radio, the billboard, Uh, on the the sidewalk as you turn the corner, uh, a chance utterance of a friend on the street, uh, the coincidences and serendipities of everyday life, all are the communications that we are receiving from the angels and the guides and the the wisdom uh, sources around us that we call by various names and that come down to really one word, which is God, in my vocabulary. And so what's important for people to know is that if they will listen to their intuitive selves to the wisdom that is flowing to us from life, about life, in every moment of our life, we will notice that we are all having conversations with God,
0: and it's vital that we take the personal responsibility for those conversations. Go ahead. Ken.
1: No, and I think that's something that we talk about all the time on the show. Is is that everyone? And I get that from people all the time. How do I, you know, how do I hear them? How do I? And, and it, all you have to do is listen. Because they're speaking to you every day, all the time.
2: And be sensitive to it. We, we tend to push it away. We tend to deny what we're, what we're hearing. We tend to poo-poo it mm-hmm. and write it off to something else. And you know,
1: we call uh, it a lot of names like serendipity and coincidence and happenstance and all those, all those names that we've we've given it. Um, and it really isn't that. It's, it's something that we should be listening to.
2: Yes. And, you know, sometimes sometimes we, we deny it. You know, what's the famous saying? Of, you will deny me three times right. before the cock crows, before the dawn. And and that is true. You know, we, we deny God in us. We deny that we are a part of God. We, we deny that we are moving into and receiving wisdom from that divine essence. We deny that all the time because we've been taught, by the way, I want to tell you this, we've been taught to deny it by, of all things, exclusivist organized religion, mm-hmm. which has as its main teaching, you cannot receive information directly from God. Don't even think that. If you say it, you are a blasphemer. Right. You are an apostate. You are a heretic. You do not. God does not speak directly to you. Don't even imagine that. You, uh, and for God's sake, don't tell anyone else that. It's a sin to even think that way. The only way God would ever communicate with anybody would be a miracle. You can talk to God. God does not talk directly to you. And even you can't talk to God directly, but you must go through us, through our religion. You have to pray in a certain way. Here's a rosary. Say these beads. Here's a candle. Light this candle. Here's a ritual. Do this ritual. And do not stand on the wrong side of the wailing wall when you're in Jerusalem because if you're a woman on the man's side of the wailing wall you have committed sacrilege all these rules and regulations that every religion in the world has and none of them none of them have anything to do with god
1: and they seem to f- and they forget that that they crucified christ for doing the same thing
0: of course right.
2: and so we continue to crucify each other exactly
0: wow i'm just sitting here listening to you too so go you go no. girl <laughs>
2: Neil, uh, This is the great sadness, of course, of it the is. human experience. And Until we can face what we've done to each other in the name of God, until we can face the possibility that we may have a few things wrong here and begin to build what Sir John Templeton, who created the Templeton Prize in religion, calls humility theology. I said to Sir John a few years ago, what is humility theology? He said, Neil, humility theology is a theology that admits that it does not have all the answers.
0: Wow. You know, and one of the big things I like about your work, Neil, is that you are very, very upfront about the fact that you're human and that the information that you've received is through you and being an imperfect human filter and take it for what rings true to you and leave the rest alone.
2: Yeah, I've said that many, many times. Look, this is not the, you know, the unvarnished word of God. I don't even pretend that it is. It is exactly what you've just described, Kevin a very imperfect message brought through a very imperfect human in a very imperfect way. But just as you've said, read the pages, take what what is of value there for you, and set the rest aside. I wish that the writers of the Bible would have said the same thing. We would have been a much healthier people and a much healthier species right now, as well as the writers of the Koran and the Bhagavad Gita and the Book of Mormon and the Torah and all of the other so-called holy books, which have given us instructions that have led to our own self-demise.
0: Neil, we have one minute left, and would you just describe the New Gospel for us, please?
2: The New Gospel is simply this. We are all one, and ours is not a better way. Ours is simply another way. If that could be said from every pulpit and every lectern in every church and and mosque and temple in the world, ours is not a better way. Ours is simply another way. We would heal the rift that has developed between us, and we would end the cause of so much of the religious and spiritual conflict that has created a murder and killing throughout human history.
0: And uh, um, there is enough, and there's nothing that you have to do, I believe, too. huh?
2: That's right. The, the second message is there's enough. There's enough of everything. There's enough of all the love and money and, 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 and the, uh, the water and the oil and the whatever you think you don't have enough of. There's enough if you just learn to share. And there's nothing you have to do specifically to earn any of these things. The fact that you are being on the earth is sufficient. And if you will simply honor the state of human beings in life itself, you will resolve all the conflicts. But, of course, you'll you'll not do it when 5% of the world's people hold 95% of the world's resources. And that, unfortunately, is the way we want it because we have the goodies. We have the marbles.
0: And that's the way we've done it, and we've got to change it if we're going to succeed.
2: Otherwise, the world will revolt against itself. The human race is losing patience with itself, and it's not going to stand for much more of the way we're running the world. So you bet things are going to have to change.
0: Neil, it's been a pleasure. We have to break for headline news. Go see Neil tomorrow night at Kent Unity. Stay tuned to this station for an update of where he's going to be day by day throughout the next week. Neil, thank you so much for coming on. Thank
1: Thank you, Neil. Thank you.
0: Have a great day.